Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. All right, so Sermon on the Mount, we're continuing. We've been in this for a few weeks. Perhaps you've spent some of that time with us. Uh, We've looked at the Beatitudes, this incredible picture of the blessed person. We've moved into uh, what it means sometimes that persecution comes with that blessing. We've moved into how Jesus talks about uh, the, he is the one who fulfills the law, the moral law and the wisdom of the prophets. And now we're in a section where he's delineating how some of those things are fulfilled in him. He's taking the moral law and he's applying it to the heart, right? And as I was uh, looking at this passage, I I remembered a a, a few years ago, I was in a room with about, uh, this is not the typical kind of room that I'm in. I was in a room with 20, 25 national Christian leaders. There were pastors in there and authors and publishers And the person who had organized this, the group that had organized this, gathered these people together because they were forming a campaign, a curriculum, a sermon series, a website, some video, a book, all of this, this is full national campaign to address people's doubts and objections about Christianity, right? So they gathered this group together to ask for feedback. And they kind of laid out their plan, where they were going, how they were going to address doubts and objections that people had to Christianity, And the number one point of feedback that they received from this group was this. How is it that you're going to address people's doubts about Christianity and not address sex? I I thought it was good feedback. How is it in a world so sex-saturated, how is it that you're going to not address uh, the thing that, that people, probably most people, 35 and under, would have their biggest objection or obstacle to considering Christianity is the narrow Christian sexual ethic, right? In a world that is just, I mean, what we think about, what the, the, the debates that we're having about sex and relationships now, we will have entirely new language in a couple of years. It's changing that fast. Like how we talk about sex and relationships, a lot of the things that, that, that we are confronted with, the ubiquitous use of pornography that is just, it's everywhere. There was a study uh, actually, a university wanted to conduct a study that, to ask what effect does pornography have an effect on us. They had to cancel the study because they couldn't find a control group. They couldn't find one group who didn't use porn. They had to cancel it. That, what this kind of sex-saturated culture, how is it that this group thought, I'm not trying to make fun, thought that they were going to address the doubts of our culture and not talk about sex? You know what, sadly, I, uh, unfortunately, the organizers did not take the feedback. They went forward with the campaign. It's a campaign uh, to address doubts. None of us have heard of it. I wonder, I wonder if it didn't take off partly because they didn't listen to the feedback, right? I think about that because when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I am so refreshed by someone like Jesus who is addressing the actual questions and doubts that people have. Do you see? He's not too timid. We, I, I love the church. I don't think the church is the problem with this world, but I must say two common problems with the church when it comes to sex and relationship. One is what, doing what these organizers at this event did. They, they were just too timid to talk about sexuality and relationships, right? That's one error. And then the other error is we're going to talk about it, but we're going to be judgmental. And it's the other side. 
And here we have Jesus, and he steps in to the scene, and he addresses people's concerns, their questions, their doubts, their objections, their obstacles about sex and relationships, and he does it directly, and he doesn't shy away. He is not timid, and yet, he is filled with grace. He's the kind of guy that a prostitute can sit at his feet, and he will receive. Do you see? Truth and grace is, abounds in Jesus. And before we go any further, Again, just because of the sensitive nature of sex and relationships, it's very personal for all of us. I got three quick notes. I know this is a lot on the front, on the front end, but we're gonna, get, we're gonna get to the passage. First, if you've got kids today, just like last week, we're kind of doing part two of Jesus' uh, discussion of sex and relationships. He's gonna talk about divorce and marriage, and we're gonna talk just like Jesus talked, frankly, candidly, we're gonna talk frankly and candidly. So if you've got kids in the room and you feel like it's not yet for them, Take them to our great kids programming, our kids classes. This is the time for you to take them to that. Second, if you have, Jesus is gonna talk about divorce. If you have more questions specifically about divorce, then ask me afterward. I even brought a really simple resource that just is, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage, okay? Jesus talks about divorce, but today we're gonna look at kind of a big picture of God's plan for sex and relationships. And I'm not dodging the divorce question, okay? I've got, there are good answers in the Bible about that. So I wanna say that. And third, I wanna point out something here that I hope you notice about Pastor Derek last week, about the, the leadership at Renewal, about our church. And it's this, it's simply this. We are the kind of church that has the Bible as our central document. And because of that, it, it frees us, it liberates us to do what we are doing today, where we just open the Bible and we go to the next paragraph, even if it's hard. Do you see? We don't pick and choose what is expedient for us. This is, this is something to be celebrated. Maybe renewal is not your church. If it's not, that's okay. Look for a church that has the Bible as its central document. There are too many people, my friends, who will tell you what is expedient or what is fashionable or what is convenient. You need somebody who will, who will just ask, what does God say? Not, how can I make the Bible say what I want it to say? All right, with that, Matthew chapter 5. We've got two short verses here. Turn to your, turn to your Bible apps or in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Let's stand together as I read it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Two short verses. This is the word of God. You guys may be seated. Again, I mentioned this earlier. This is a, a continuation of Jesus' discussion of sex and relationships. Last week, he, he spoke very candidly about adultery and about lust. And we see kind of this theme of adultery. Now, every culture, every time, every people applies and misapplies sex and relationship in different ways. And we can see, we kind of get a window a little bit into the culture in Jesus's day, was very concerned with how to avoid adultery, right? So you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who looks at somebody with lust, lustful intent, 
has already committed adultery in their hearts. That's what Jesus said last week. This week, you have heard it said, if you want a divorce, write your wife a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, you're not dodging adultery that way either, right? That's basically what he's getting at. And we get this, this window, this lens about uh, into the culture of Jesus's day. But what I want to say is every culture has its, its uses and misuses of sex and relationships. And Jesus, what his words, his wisdom can apply to all cultures in all times and all places. And so we're going to look at this in a big picture way. We've got three, three kind of subheadings for today. And th- th- these are the three. There's a question about divorce. Jesus has asked a question about divorce. Well, we're going to look at this in more detail. Number two, Jesus gives an answer about marriage. Number three, this is the answer for all sex and relationships. Okay? Question about divorce and answer about marriage, the answer for all sex and relationships. So people have questions. The, the, the campaign that I mentioned earlier that wanted to create something to answer people's doubts and questions, you know, uh, people have questions about how to do sex and relationships. People have questions about all kinds of things. And it would, the same was true in Jesus' day. People had questions. People had doubts. People had concerns, obviously. The Pharisees at one point come to Jesus and they pose a question to him. And we're going to look at this because it's the same teaching that's in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few chapters over, Matthew 19. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 19. This gives us a little bit more context. We will see the same teaching from Jesus, but with more context, which I hope will bring more clarity to what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. Jesus is always having these confrontations with these religious elites. They just keep picking fights, and they keep losing, right? And and here is another one of those. So Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, it says, And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning... It was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So you see that, that very last verse, verse 9, it's the same teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And, and straight away, we, we see the Pharisees, and the Bible tells us their motivation. Did you notice that? Very first verse we read, so that they could test him. They're looking to entrap Jesus somehow, to have Jesus incriminate himself somehow in his own words. They've got this, they've got in the back of their minds, they've got this ace of spades, they think. They got this verse in Deuteronomy about Moses saying you can write a certificate of divorce. And they're, they think, they imagine they're gonna set up Jesus and they're gonna say, aha, here it is. You're saying something against the Old Testament law. What you teach is illegal, right? These are, these are legal scholars and they're, um, Uh, weaving their legal webs, trying to get Jesus, right? And then what does Jesus do? He responds directly to their question. Now, we learn something about the Pharisees. We learn that they're not asking a question. 
to, for understanding, right? They're asking a question to entrap. They're asking a question to make a point. A few years ago, I read on Twitter, you gotta be careful on Twitter, all right? But I read on Twitter a comment, a tweet uh, from somebody with millions of followers, and they said this, this is a quote. Can someone please explain this to me? Why are Christians so obsessed with sexuality when Jesus seems to have said so little about it? Have you heard that kind of a, an argument before, that kind of a complaint about Christianity in its interaction with sexuality? Have you thought or said that kind of a thing before? I, I love this tweet, not because I agree with it, but because it summarizes a very common complaint. Can you please, and, and the, 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 the tweeter says, can you please explain this to me? And I think, I don't know, maybe they're sincere. Maybe they really want to sit down and, and learn and understand. I think that they're actually doing what the Pharisees were doing. They're not asking a question. They're making a point. They're trying to back up their presupposition. You see what I mean? Because what do we see? Jesus says a lot about sex and relationships. The very premise of the question is off. Jesus interacted with the woman at the well. Jesus received the prostitute. Jesus defended the woman caught in adultery. Jesus confronted the Pharisees about sex and relationships. Jesus speaks about lust and adultery. He talks about it. The premise is wrong. The Pharisees here also have the wrong premise. Their question is about divorce. And Jesus answers about creation, about God the creator. It's awesome what Jesus does. So the, the, this question from the Pharisees tells us something about them, but it also tells us a lot about Jesus. Why is it that they thought, if I want to entrap Jesus, I'm going to ask him about sex and relationships? They must have seen something in him, right? They must have observed him with his women followers. They must have observed him or heard the stories about him with a Samaritan woman at the well who, was, who had five husbands and was living with some other guy. They must have observed him in, in how he interacted with, with children and families. They must have heard, probably some of them were there at the Sermon on the Mount, and they heard his teaching about divorce. Do you see, their question doesn't just tell us about them, it tells us about Jesus. They think that asking him this question is going to entrap him. They, they have perceived that he has a different idea about sex and relationships, and in that regard, they are right. We've got some lawyers in the room today. I, I laugh because we make jokes with each other. You know, the best lawyer jokes come from lawyers. So I, if I want to know more lawyer jokes, I ask them. We've got some lawyers in the room today. You, you guys that are in the legal profession, you know how important precedent is often in making a legal case, right? You know how important that is. When, when the Pharisees come to Jesus, they think they've got precedent. They think that Jesus is gonna say, don't divorce somebody, don't take divorce so lightly because we've got Moses, we've got legal precedent, and what does Jesus do? He says, you want precedent? How about creation? And he, he turns to the creation account and he says, you want precedent? Let me give you the creator's intent for sex and relationships. I see your Moses, and I raise you one creator. <laughs> it's a powerful argument, my friends. It's incredible how he does this. The, the Pharisees, the Pharisees' point, their, their, their central argument was to point to Moses' words as justification for their behavior. Jesus points to the creator and literally the first word on sex and relationship, the purpose, the meaning. The Pharisees were concerned with divorce. Jesus is concerned with marriage. 
The Pharisees contort the case law from Moses. Jesus presents creation itself. Do you see? These are powerful arguments from Jesus. The centerpiece of the Pharisees' argument from of the Pharisees' argument is from the time of Moses. The centerpiece of Jesus' argument is from the beginning of time. He says, Do have you not read? I love it, it's a little zinger in there. These are the these are the legal scholars. He doesn't just say it says, he says, Have you not read? From the beginning, God created them male and female, have you not read that from the beginning he joined them together that the two are no longer one, or no longer two, but one flesh? Have you not heard this? He goes to the creation account. The the, the Pharisees ask a question about divorce, and Jesus gives an answer about marriage. It's awesome. It's awesome. He moves in and he says, verses four through six, let me read them again. Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. An incredible answer. An incredible um, way to respond to a question that was insincere from the beginning. And in this, there's so much. I I confess to you that if there's anything that I wrestled with in this message, it's this part of Jesus' teaching. Why? This is the same teaching that's in the beginning. It's in Genesis. Jesus cites it at least twice. The the other New Testament apostles also cite this when they have questions about uh, sex and relationship. They go back to the beginning. And there's so much here. Frankly, it's too much to cover. (laughs) That's what I wrestled with. How do we cover all of this? And so I just want to draw out four principles that we learn about sex and relationships from this creation account, okay? First, sex and relationship is designed. It is designed. It has a creator. It's, it's got an intentionality to it, right? It's not an, an artifact of evolution, and it's certainly not a cultural artifact. It's designed. This is what we learned. It is permanent. It is exclusive, and it is sacred. You know, the, the, the question of design or created marriage, sex relationship being created. I mean, it's so clear. All you got to do is look across civilization through all of time. Imagine a civilization, and I can almost guarantee you they have marriage. How can that be, my friends? In a world so varied, with so much variation in culture and food and art and language and law and, 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 and morality even and everything else that you can look across times and places and languages and everything and find marriage. Now, maybe you're a smart aleck and you're like, well, what about the Yanomamo tribe in the 1930s in the rainforest of Ecuador? Did they have marriage? Yeah, they did. I know. I looked it up. (laughs) Even if you can find an exception, I can give you the rule. It's overwhelming. This is designed. This has design and intent from God. How is it that all of these people independently of one another arrived at the same conclusion that a way to practice sex and relationship is in the covenant of marriage? It must be designed. Verse five, it is permanent. Sex and relationship in its design is designed to be, to have permanency. A man should leave his family and make a new family. He starts again, right? There's a permanency. He holds fast to his wife. 
This isn't fleeting. This, is, this, is, this permanency is one of, the very, one of the principal things that the Pharisees were rejecting with their easy writing certificates of divorce. Imagine law, case law, where if I'm a man, I can go to the home office and scribble out a certificate of divorce and hand it to my wife and send her away. It's cheapening the design of sex and relationship. There's permanency. They hold fast to one another. There's a, one of my favorite examples of this is in the wedding ceremony. Wedding ceremonies all over the world have, have these representations of permanency. Here in, in, in the Western world, we have the wonderful vows. I was just recently at a wedding. I loved that it had some of the old vows. They're awesome. The old vows are, are incredible, this idea of in sickness and in health. These are uncompromising promises, aren't they? And for richer or for, or for poorer, this is amazing. There's permanency. I, my wife and I lived in Mexico City for a number of years. In the Mexican traditional wedding, often a part of it is called the lasso. And they take the bride and the groom and ceremonial, ceremonially tie them together. There's permanency. There's permanency to marriage, to sex and relationship as designed by God. Verse five continues, so they are no longer two, but one. They shall become one flesh. And in this, we learn that sex and relationship by design is exclusive. It's exclusive. In other words, this is a relationship that is not shared with other people. This is a relationship that where two distinct people come together. Think about this. This is remarkable. Two distinct people, two distinct intellects, two distinct sexualities, two distinct genders, two distinct uh, psychologies, two distinct finances, two distinct legalities, and they come together, and from the moment of marriage, nothing is ever the same. They are one. Even the IRS has them file one tax return. <laughs> Financially, they are bound. Socially, they are bound. Legally, they are, they are bound. In name, they are bound. Sexually, they are bound. This is an exclusive relationship. It's remarkable. Funny math, where two become one. They're, they're each other's servants. He is for her. She is for him. He is chief initiator. She is chief ally. This is amazing how God designed the exclusiveness of sex and relationship in marriage. And then verse 6, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So you have this, this incredible, unbelievable, <laughs> designed thing from God. Designed, permanent, exclusive. And here, with these two people coming together to become one, there is a third actor. Do you notice? God joins people together in marriage. It is his act. He's the one that brings these two people together. In other words, his design for sex and relationships is sacred. Designed permanent, exclusive, and sacred. The Pharisees ask a question about divorce. They get a whole lot of bigger answer. They get an answer about God's created intent. They get an answer about marriage, and they get the answer for all of sex and relationships. If human, romantic, or sexual relationships are indeed designed, permanent, exclusive, and sacred, then it affects 
all of our questions about sex and relationship too. You know, the Pharisees in their day, they were concerned with adultery and how to avoid it and how to dodge that. And so they created a legal loophole. And Jesus basically looks at their legal loophole and says, you know what, if, if what divorce and marriage is for you is just taking on a new sexual partner when you want a new one by writing a certificate of divorce to your old one, then you're still an adulterer. That's not avoiding adultery, that's committing adultery. That's Jesus' teaching. And, and he draws on that teaching because of the creation account. And what I want to say to us today is that all of our questions about sex and relationship, we can also draw on the creation account. We can say, okay, if God's design for sex and relationship is one of permanency, exclusivity, and sacredness, then how does it affect how I think about pornography or dating or marriage or anything Whatever the thing is that I don't even know what it's going to be in a couple of years, right? I can look at God's created intent. This is the answer, in other words, the answer for all of sex and relationships. Jesus took uh, the Pharisee's question and he responded in a big way. He took the, the, the prevailing ideas of the culture at large He said, you have heard it said, but I tell you, over and over again. Today, he could do the same thing. He could take this exact same passage. He could overlay it on our ubiquitous, what I mentioned earlier, nearly ubiquitous use of porn. He could overlay the exact same thing. You have heard it said, perhaps, that porn is safe and fun, but I tell you, whoever looks at somebody lustfully has already committed adultery with them in his heart. He he could go further. He could say, you have heard it said, porn is safe and fun, but I tell you, you cannot be pro-pornography, and anti-sex trafficking. It is impossible. He could look at us today and say, you have heard it said, sex outside of marriage is not adultery if everyone agrees. But I tell you, sex outside of marriage is adultery because it is outside of marriage. He could look at us and say, you have heard it said that living with someone is the best way to know them before getting married. But I tell you that the covenant of marriage is the only thing secure enough to really know someone. Jesus' teaching from the beginning affects all of our understanding about sex and relationships. Why? Because he is designer. He is creator. Ask somebody who's looking for a hookup, who just wants to have a good time, who's playing the field, whatever. We, we have these, we, we turn over these phrases every generation or so. That person, ask that person what they think, how, why they do what they do with sex and relationships, and you'll probably get an answer about how sex is just an appetite, it's a desire, and it's not that big a deal. Would you just chill out, right? Ask somebody, however, who is in the middle of a divorce. Ask somebody their Me Too story. Ask somebody with an addiction and you'll get a very different answer. You'll get an answer that doesn't say sex is not a big deal. You might even get an answer that says it's the biggest deal. You might even get somebody to say, that says sex and sexuality is the basis of my identity. And here we have the two, the two chief understandings and applications of sex and sexuality in our culture. One says it's not a big deal, and the other says it's the biggest deal. Now, I don't have to be a genius to know that that is a contradictory worldview. In steps Jesus, and he offers something different, something refreshing, 
that's not self-contradictory. That doesn't have to have me doing gymnastics trying to make this thing work. No, no, no. He says, no, sex and relationships are, are a big deal, but they're not the biggest deal. Do you see? He says something different altogether. Sex is sacred, but sex isn't saving. He gives me a different way to live. And it is refreshing, my friends, because I don't have to try to figure this impossible contradictory worldview out anymore. I can look to him and I can see that if sex and relationships are designed by him to be permanent and exclusive and sacred, then then things begin to clarify. It begins to make sense. I, I I can pursue sex and relationships rightly, but never have to be identified by them. I don't have to be crushed when I'm dumped. I don't have to be crushed when my wife gives me the cold shoulder. Do you see? Neither do I have to live in this fantasy that it's not a big deal. Ask anybody who's had a significant other cheat on them if it's a big deal. It is. This kind of person with this kind of coherent, comprehensive understanding of sex and relationships is the kind of person that I want to follow. Is the kind of person who I can entrust my desires to. You see? I can entrust my my desires to somebody who knows and understands and explains all of these things in a very confused world. I can entrust my my angst to them about my marriage or about my non-marriage, about my singleness. I can can entrust that to, to Jesus. I can entrust to them my addiction to sex or to pornography because I know that he receives and he forgives. I can confess and entrust all of this to Jesus. And this is how I want to just end today is simply with that is, will you trust him? We started with offering today, talking about this, this action of entrusting our finances to God. Will you entrust your sexuality to God? Your relationships. Is it possible that the almighty creator of sex and relationships knows better for you than you do about sex and relationships. Will you trust the one who has offered a comprehensive and coherent worldview? Let me pray for us. Jesus, these are heavy topics. They are deeply personal. So many of us, all of us, God, have sexual brokenness in our past. We praise you for your forgiveness. We praise you for making a way for us. We praise you for a higher and better view and way with sex and relationships. Would you please help us right now, today, all of us? For some of us, give us courage to ask good questions, not just leading ones. And for others, give us us new understanding. And for all of us, give us a renewed faith and trust in you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you.